welcome to you if you're brand new here. This is week two of our series, Rhythms. And in this series last week, Brian just kind of laid this foundation that God has wired rhythms into creation. He's wired rhythms into the way that the world works. As you read the creation account, there's evening and there's morning the first day. There's the sun and the moon. There's the separation of the land from the waters. There is rhythm, the tides that come in. There is rhythms all around us. And what we're exploring in this series is the truth that we see in the Bible, that God has wired our lives to work best when we engage in rhythms, rhythms of rest and with rhythms of work. And so last week, Brian said, rhythms means embracing extremes. Embracing extremes, a lot of times we think rhythms are about finding a balance, but actually it's about embracing extremes. One of the illustrations he used last week that, honestly, everybody I talked to um, was just, just it, he, he, he taught it great. We got it with these two illustrations. One of them was a golf swing. If you were here, he talked about the golf swing and the power of the backswing. Impacted me so much. I, I'm kind of a golf hack, but I figured I'd bring one of my favorite clubs to just re-illustrate that point. So if you'll just give me a second here. Um, why are you guys laughing at my golf? This is my, this is my special golf club. And yes, by all means, the quality of this golf club does reflect the quality of my golf game. It really does. So um, I'm not necessarily a golfer. But, you know, Brian talked about the fact that in golf, if you want to have force behind the ball, then you have to learn how to have a deep backswing. If you only come this far back with the club, there's limited force that you can put on the ball. But if you'll learn to embrace a backswing that's deep and swing through, you can have incredible power and force. And in the same way, God has created our lives to need a backswing, a backswing of rest, a backswing of abiding and trusting. And as we flow through that, we can be productive and we can be fruitful. The other illustration Brian used that just, again, it was humorous, but it makes the point, is punching. And Brian said, you know, if, you, if you've ever seen anybody box or if you've kicked box or done anything like that, you know that to get the most force behind a punch, you have to draw back. The way to get the most force behind a punch is you draw back. And, you know, Brian did this last week. He said, you know, could you imagine two people fighting like this? Could you imagine if you saw a body? It would be boring. It would be boring. I can't do that as good as him. It almost makes me wonder if he actually used to fight that way. But, you know, <laughs> it would be boring. It would be boring. And so the truth is God has wired rhythms into our lives, and our lives work best with rhythms. We see this rhythm. We see this backswing. Very early in the creation story, very early in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, set apart, distinct, different. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These illustrations really reflect Visually, kind of a, a pendulum, if that's helpful, a pendulum of the way that God has wired the world to work. In fact, in the creation account, what we see is that on the sixth day, God creates man and he creates woman. And so what that means is the first day of human existence was a backswing, was a backswing of rest. And on the pendulum, you can think about it this way, it's flowing from rest into work. God commanded us to be fruitful and multiply, but how do we do that? We don't do that by work, 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 <sighs> get tired, oh, I got to rest. No, we do that by starting in the backswing of rest and flowing from the backswing into work. Jesus put it this way in John 15. He said, abide in me, and I in you. And he said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. He's saying, if you will rest in what I have done for you, if you will rest in my provision for you, rest in the backswing of faith then from the backswing of faith, you can flow into fruitfulness. Jesus is illustrating the same thing we see in the created order. Another way to think about it is play 
and produce. The most productive people I know have a great backswing. And they're really good at resting. They're really good at having fun, of doing things that don't seem to have any purpose other than pleasure. And from that, they flow to be incredibly productive over the long haul. I'm not talking about being a flash in a pan, but people who have been incredibly successful over the long haul have high play in their lives. Brian is one of the people for me who role models this really well. And he said last week, and it's true, the bigger your mission, the bigger your play needs to be. And so today, we're going to talk about how do we live in the backswing every seven days by embracing this gift that God has given us called the Sabbath. The main thing today is I want you to receive the gift of the Sabbath. That's the main point. That's the main go-do after today is I want you to receive the gift of the Sabbath. Sabbath simply means ceasing or stopping, and this is what God calls holy. And today, we want to find out why. Let's pray. God, I just pray that you would, um, you would illustrate your heart for rest in this time that we have. God, as we just uh, think about rhythms and how they play out in our lives, there's so many distractions and there's so many barriers to actually living this out, even from week to week. And God, I know that I've had to grow in this, and I, I'm sure I'm not alone. And so I just pray today that you would encourage us, you would motivate us to receive the gift of the Sabbath. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you got to go down to the Cincinnati Museum Center when they had the Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit. It was really fascinating. I really enjoyed it going down there. And one of the things that struck me was the parchment that has on it the Ten Commandments, God's top ten list. And what struck me is they had this digital display so you could press each commandment and it would visually show you where it kind of occupies space on the scroll. And what struck me was of the Ten Commandments, the one that gets the most real estate by far is this idea of observing the Sabbath more than thou shalt not murder, more than thou shalt not steal, more than thou shalt not commit adultery. All of them are important. All of them are God's commands. But he gives a lot of commentary behind this idea of the Sabbath. In Exodus 20, verse 8, he says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is really interesting. God makes it very, very clear how he wants his people, the nation of Israel, to observe the Sabbath. First he says, listen, this is for everybody. There's no fudging. I don't want you to work. I don't want your kids to work. I don't want your cows to work. I don't want anybody to work on the Sabbath. I don't want any strangers that are spending time with you, doing life with you. I don't want them to work. Why? Because I created for six days and I rested on the seventh day. And I blessed that day and I made it holy. And I want you to receive the gift of the Sabbath. Personal confession for me is I have not necessarily been good at receiving the gift of the Sabbath throughout my life. And really in the last several years, I've been learning a lot about how to receive this gift, why I need to receive this gift, and how that looks for my family. And I'll, I'll share some stuff with you that we do, some things that we've been experimenting with. But man, this was not a good space for me. I actually, I, I used to always say, I don't, I don't have any hobbies. You know, I didn't. And people would ask me, what, what are your hobbies? And I would say, well, reading. Reading is a hobby. The only problem is my leisurely reading included titles like Think and Grow Rich, 21 Laws of Leadership, and One Up on Wall Street. So really not very relaxing reading, you know? So even my reading was working to some degree, trying to improve, trying to get better. And I had to learn how to observe this Sabbath and receive it as a gift. And in fact, we did a series on play in 2010. I'll never forget it because as I was kind of preparing for that message, I realized I had nothing to share. I had nothing in the tank to share on that. 
because I wasn't living that out in my own life. And so it's been a journey for me to figure out what does it mean to receive this gift and to understand that it is, in fact, a gift. I want to share with you an insight that came to me this week as I was studying and kind of looking at how others have talked about the Sabbath, something I've never seen. I've read Genesis 2 dozens of times. I've never seen what I want to share with you right now in this verse. Genesis 2.2 again says, And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. The emphasis really is on that word rested. That word rested in Hebrew is a word I want to teach you today. It's the word menucha. So on the count of three, I want you to say menucha. One, two, three. Menucha. All right, so this is how this works. When you're learning Hebrew, if you didn't just spit on the back of the neck of the person in front of you, you didn't say it correctly. So don't be trying to be cute. Menucha. That's not the way the word goes. Menucha. So on one, two, three, I want you to say it. One, two, three. Menucha. That's right. Not to be confused with menudo, if anybody remembers menudo. <laughs> that picture will stick with you for another decade like it did the first time, right? The word is menucha, and this word has a really rich meaning, and, and what does it mean? It doesn't just mean rest. It actually means much more than rest. One of the great um, Jewish thinkers is Abram Joshua Heschel, and he says this about menucha. The words, on the seventh day God finished his work, seem to be a puzzle. We would surely expect the Bible to tell us that on the sixth day God finished his work. Obviously, the ancient rabbis concluded there was an act of creation on the seventh day. Just as heaven and earth were created in six days, menucha, everybody say menucha, was created on the Sabbath. And what they're saying is really interesting. It's right there in the Bible. I've just never seen it. Genesis 2-2 clearly says God finished his work on the seventh day, and he rested. I've always, you know, kind of in my mind, yeah, he created six days, he rested on one. But what they say is there was an act of creation that happened on the seventh day. What did God create on the seventh day? Menucha. What that means is God left a gift on the seventh day for us to receive every week. If we would just enter into the Sabbath, there is the gift of Menucha waiting for you. God placed that on that day when he blessed it and when he made it holy. And you and I can receive it every week. Heschel goes on to say this about Menucha. He says, after the six days of creation, what did the universe lack? Not just what did the world lack. Not just what did you and I lack as human beings. What did the universe lack? Menucha came the Sabbath, came Menucha, and the universe was complete. I want you to know this word Menucha is really a word of bliss. It's, it's joy. It's deep rest. It's restorative beyond just what you need to get through the next six days. There is something holy. There is something godly to be experienced. I actually believe this. I believe that there is a taste of God's presence and a taste of experiencing him that he wants you to walk into on a weekly basis on the Sabbath. And in our family, we've been trying to figure out, well, how does that look like? That's an awesome gift. We want to receive that gift. How do we receive that gift? We want to talk about four ways, four ways to receive the gift of menucha, the gift of the Sabbath. And the first is receive the Sabbath sensually. Feels so good. You're lying right. here next to me. All right. Barry White, man, you know, you know how cool you have to be to be a sex symbol with a jerry curl? I mean, 
that'll never happen again in culture, like crazy. So yeah, but actually I wasn't talking about that kind of sensuality, but God has given you five senses. He's given you your senses. I believe God wants you to experience the Sabbath, experience the gift of menucha through all of your five senses. That's part of what he means when he says keeping it holy. That's part of what it means to experience the Sabbath. Dan Allender wrote a book about the Sabbath, and in it he says this, the Sabbath is a sensual delight to be enjoyed in communion with God, others, and creation. There is no notion more at odds with the Sabbath than a day of forced quiet, spiritual exercises, and religious devotion and attendance. It implies that the day is meant to be spent indoors, napping or praying, but not partying. Instead, the Sabbath is a day of sensuality. When we say to one another, taste and see that the Lord is good, oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Psalm 34, 8. Man, that, that's sensuality. That's sensuality. It really, really is. And I've just been realizing there is a sensuality to experiencing God. You know, a lot of us would say the five senses are perhaps ways that we've come to believe that there's evidence of a God. We've observed something in nature. We've heard an incredible piece of music. We've tasted an incredible morsel of food and said there's, there's something. God, there, there is a God. You know, you've heard people say things like that. But I believe not only are the senses meant to demonstrate the existence of God, but actually to enter into the presence of God. You know, there's a sensuality to many things in our faith. Hey, just some encouraging news, some exciting news. This past Wednesday at Oakley, Florence, and Mason, 130 people were baptized. 130 people got baptized this Wednesday. Most we've ever seen in a midweek service like that. Just awesome, awesome stuff that God is doing. And baptism, baptism is a sensual experience. Think about this. I mean, there's something to hear when people get baptized. Every one of those 130 people made a declaration that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, meaning Jesus is the master. They're submitting their authority, all the authority to him in their lives. He has it all, and he's their rescuer. He's their deliverer. Everybody made that verbal confession. There's also something to see as people go under the water, symbolic of burying themselves, burying their old selves, and symbolic of the new life that they literally have received in Jesus. There's something sensual about baptism. There's, there's something sensual about communion. Communion, as you, as you taste the bread and as you dip it in wine or juice and you taste that, as you smell the scent of the, of the liquid, there's, there's a reminder sensually that this is, this is what Jesus did for me. This is symbolic of his body broken for me and his blood that was shed for me. There's a sensuality to Christianity. And I've had to learn how to have a sensuality to my Sabbath. One of the things that I do is regularly I go for Saturday runs on my Sabbath. That's a sensual thing for me. And part of what makes it sensual is what I'm listening to. So judge me later, personal confession, I love Saturdays on NPR. I love them. I like, I'm hooked. It is not a good Sabbath. If I miss click and clack the Tappet Brothers, not a good Sabbath. Not a good Sabbath. I miss Michael Feldman and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Just not a good Sabbath for me. I love those shows. I do. And I love listening to them. And so I'll run. A lot of times that's what I'm listening to. Sometimes other things. But it's sensual. Also, visually it's sensual. You know, the cool thing about where I live is I can go from my neighborhood into Gulf Manor. And in Gulf Manor, I'll see black community and I'll see folks who uh, look like me, who remind me of growing up in Philadelphia. And then I can make a right turn onto Elbrook, and then onto Section, and I can see Jewish families walking with their children to, to synagogue. Just, just really cool, the diversity I get to see in the course of a run. Deer. I get to see deer on my run. It's awesome. I like to see them in the daylight of my run versus the dark of my run. I've, I've come pretty close to a couple deer every now and then. It's just crazy. So, but it's a sensual thing. And you know what? The sensuality that I experience when I run, it's holy for me. 
It's holy because, I tell you what, my best creativity, my clarity of hearing from God, if you, if you, seriously, if I had to go and hear from God on something, I would not get on my knees and pray. I would put on my running shoes and pray. Because I hear from God so clearly. There's a sensuality. And it just gives me capacity to engage my family and just to pray and to experience God. It's beautiful. But not only does sensuality impact my experience of the Sabbath, it impacts our family as well. Our family has some things that bring sensuality to our Sabbath. First and foremost, every Saturday, we have pumpkin pancakes from Trader Joe's. You have not lived, so you have had pumpkin pancakes from Trader Joe's. We love them. We have those, and we have Saturday bacon. Saturday bacon. So we try to be healthy, and so we eat a lot of turkey bacon. That's primarily what we eat. But I'm just telling you, as a preacher, as someone who's read the Scripture, there is a place for pork in the kingdom of God. It is Saturday morning at my breakfast table. It just is. Just is. We eat Saturday bacon on Saturday. It's just a sensual reminder. We don't do that every day. We sing. On our Sabbath, we sing. I'll tell you what, if you have kids in Kids Club right now, they are having, I think, one of the best experiences of their week. There's people investing in them and the videos and the music. And so in our house, there's the music of Kids Club just kind of flows into our Saturday. They're, actually, crossroadskidsclub.net. If you haven't been to this website and you're a parent, check it out. All the stuff is up there for free, you can, and, and we sing at the table. We'll pull up the songs, and Jesus loves, 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 loves me. We sing that stuff. It's a way for us to worship and experience and connect with God as a family. We dance. We dance. This is actually the best song in my house right now for dancing. You, you might have heard it. it Pop some tags. This is the 10 o'clock. Got $20 in my pocket. You know the song. Don't act like you don't know Macklemore just because you're in church. Don't act like you don't know about thrifting just because you're in church. Right last night we came home and that song was on 107 and my one, my one and a half year old was like <laughs> doing his thing, man. I love it. We dance. We have a great time. It's meant to be joyful. We have a blast on our Sabbath. We love going outside. And sensually experiencing nature. Man, I tell you, you have not lived until you've been down this slide. This is the concrete slide at Alms Park. Not lived. Best slide in Cincinnati. Washington Park in the summertime. Sharon Woods. Walking the trail at Sharon Woods. Our city has an embarrassment of riches when it comes to beautiful parks. We really do. And we go outside. And we sensually experience Manuka. Because the Sabbath is about feasting. It's about feasting not just on food. Saturday bacon. Amen. Not just about that. But feasting on relationships. Man, when we play together as a family, it just, it just reconnects us from the, from the running of the week in a unique way. And you can feast on God. So receive the Sabbath sensually, but also receive it rhythmically. Receive it rhythmically. I don't know if you have any simple, repeatable patterns that just say, this is my Sabbath. This is a day of rest. Super, super helpful to have those. I hope you do. Just share you some of the ones that we've developed as a family. For us, our Sabbath begins on Friday evening. And we do Friday evening because when I speak on weekends like this, it's, it's kind of shortened on Saturday. And so we always have Friday evening. And so ours begins with a meal. And the way that meal begins in our home is with Maria lighting candles. And this is part of the Jewish tradition of celebrating the Sabbath. We've gone to school and a lot of other people who do this better than we do. And we've kind of taken bits and pieces to learn from them. And, uh, you know, this is what works now. It'll change. But we love doing these candles, and, you know, Jewish people celebrate the Sabbath, and they light candles because they believe the Sabbath is God's queen. And so it's tradition that the woman of the house lights candles to welcome in the queen of Sabbath. Now, I'll tell you, this, you know, my wife is very visual. She loves candles, and so for her, 
this was like, yeah, I definitely want to incorporate this tradition. But this has become something way more special, way more deep for her. It's been awesome to see. So how many moms in the house? Moms? See your moms? Awesome. Moms, you have the hardest job in the world. And I just have one question for you. When do you clock out? Yeah, right? Never. Never. So you clock out at 5 p.m., you clock out at 7 p.m., 3 a.m. I mean, it's just, it's so hard. Now, here's what I've seen. I've seen for my wife, those candles kind of serve the role of clocking out. You know, I have the benefit of not showing up to a place that I go to for work on the Sabbath, so I have a physical reminder that this is a different day. She doesn't have that, but these candles have been for her a way to clock out, a way to say, okay, as a family, we're entering into a different pace. One of the things that she does is she doesn't blow those candles out after the meal. She lets them burn, and throughout the evening, it's just a constant reminder, this is a different pace. This is a different day. And it just really helps. Another thing we do is we have a meal together as a family. This is me and the boys at the table having the meal. And let me just tell you, it, it looks pretty. There's flowers on the table. It's not always like that. That bottle that Sam has on that high chair, it's about to fly across the room any moment. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, this is normal life stuff, but we just try to bring some rhythmic reminders into it. And so that really works for us. Another thing we do is we take communion when we come together on our Sabbath meal. This is me interacting with Nathan, and then Nathan serves communion to me. He loves doing that. He loves doing that. I just, I just want my kids to remember the gift of what God has done for them, what Jesus has done for them. And so we bring that into our Sabbath. Another thing we do on Sabbath is we move from our dinner to movie night. It's a movie night. And I told Nathan, I said, Nathan, I'm going to be talking to people about the Sabbath. Is there anything you'd want me to say? And he said, yeah, I, I want you to tell people, Daddy, that movie night is really fun with ooey-gooey popcorn. <laughs> Some brown sugar butter thing that Maria puts together for popcorn every now and then. She, he loves it. The other thing he said is he wanted me to tell all of you that you would pray that he would not have bad dreams. So I'm, I'm passing that on to you. And so last night he had a bad dream. I'm just, no lie, he had a bad dream last night. And so he comes in the room and it's like three in the morning. And I'm like, Nathan, what's wrong? I had a bad dream. So what was your dream? He said, I dreamt that there was a worm on me. I'm like, oh, that would be troubling. He said, and it really would. And he said, and I dreamt that you and mommy made me eat oatmeal. <laughs> Might have been a subtle message in that bad dream, but pray for him nonetheless. So, you know, but, but these are rhythmic ways we engage in the Sabbath. Receive it rhythmically, but also receive it flexibly. Receive it flexibly. I know that some of you, like, I'm talking, and as I'm talking, you're just like, let me give you a million reasons why I can't do that. I don't have a family, so what's this look like if you're single? I, my kids are in a different stage than yours, so what's this look like if your kids are in different stages? What, what does it look like? I just want you to know, listen, this is not meant to be a law. This is not meant to be a duty. Do what works for you, but find a way to receive the gift. That's all I'm, that's all I'm encouraging you to do. Find a way to receive the gift. G.K. Chesterton is a great theologian, and he said this. He said, anything worth doing is worth doing badly. <laughs> Meaning trial and error, try, experiment, figure out what works for you. You know, I think about when I was single. Well, actually, at first I thought about, like, when I was at P&G, one of my roles had me on the road, like, three days a week. I mean, I just would not have been able to say, every Friday we're going to do this, or every Monday. I wouldn't have been able to do that. So what would I do if I was back in that? Well, for me, if I knew what I knew now, maybe I would focus on rituals versus rhythms. So maybe I can't say every Friday's movie night, but I could say every time Daddy comes back from a business trip, it's movie night. Maybe I could do a ritual of, you know, if I was married without kids, when I was married without kids, to say, hey, I, I, I get a little gift, a trinket from where I'm from, and my wife and I go and have coffee at our favorite place to have coffee, and we just catch up, and that's just what we do. Like, figure out what rhythms work for you. 
you know, maybe it's you and your boys or you and your girlfriends having a place that every Friday night, whoever can be there just shows up there at a certain time. You debrief your week, and it's just a, it's just a shift. It's just a shift that this is a different place. You know, a couple, couple suggestions. I mean, your favorite coffee shop could do that. The Blind Lemon in Mount Adams would be a great place to do that. You know, there's, there's places in our city that could be this for you. Just a third place, kind of a place that's not home, that's not work, and just kind of puts you in a different space. I used to play touch football with guys from work or basketball. These were all things that for me just kind of said, hey, this is a different day. This is a way for me to be flexible. Be flexible, but by all means, receive the gift. Simply receive the gift of the Sabbath. And finally, receive it playfully. Receive it playfully. I really believe we have kind of lost the holiness in play as a culture. A friend of mine sent me an article just yesterday talking about the importance of play, and particularly aggressive play, kind of roughhousing for young boys. They have two boys. We do as well. And it's really, really healthy for boys to do that, to play. And it talked about, she, she made this quote, and she's right, play is the work of children. It really is. But I believe that play should be the work of adults as well. I don't know if you know this or not, but you still learn best when you play. I don't know if you know this or not, but that's still the best way to form relationships is play. That's true for all of us. And so wouldn't it stand to reason that we can actually experience God through play? I don't know if you know this or not. There is a National Institute of Play. There's a director, Stuart Brown. Can you imagine having this as your job? What a great job. What are you going to do today at work? I'm going to play. No, that's my job. I'm going to play. That's awesome. That's awesome. And he says this about play. He says, humans are the biggest players of all. We are built to play, and we are built through play. When we play, we are engaged in the purest expression of our humanity. And I've read his book on play, and this is where this quote comes from. I know that what he's talking about is physiologically the benefits, purest expression of humanity, psychologically the benefits, but spiritually as well. Spiritually as well. You know, it's interesting. God reminds the nation of Israel about this command to observe the Sabbath 40 years after he gives it to them the first time. When he first gave it to them, they had just left the nation of Israel. I mean, they had just left the nation of Egypt where they were slaves for 400 years. And they come through this period, and God is reminding them of things again. And he brings them back to the Sabbath. And he gives them a different reason for observing it. The first time, hey, observe it because I modeled this for you. This is a rhythm. But this is what he says in Deuteronomy 5. Forty years later, he says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. You shall remember that you were a slave. Why should you observe the Sabbath? Because you need to remember that at one point you were a slave and slaves don't get to play. But now you live in freedom. He says, in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Play, in many ways, is a sign of freedom. We're involved in justice work here at Crossroads and in India where women are, girls are actually forced into prostitution and slavery. And as I've talked with people about that work, I realize there's three things that are always true whenever someone's oppressing someone in slavery. One is they're, they're robbing them of their identity. They're robbing them of who they are and kind of their core identity. They're also robbing them from their family. A lot of times kidnapping is involved. There's a, a removal from the family, a community that would tell them who they are. And they also rob them of their dignity. And they make them believe that their worth in this world is based on what they do and not on who they are, simply as a child that God has created. And you know what the sad thing is? In our overworked, overstressed, overscheduled culture, many of us are slaves. We're slaves to the next promotion. We're slaves to earning more income. We're slaves to rising up the ladder so that we can demonstrate to somebody that we're worthy. And I really believe that the Sabbath 
is meant to be a, an emancipation proclamation every seven days. And you can just recognize that you don't need to be a slave. In fact, this is core to the message of Jesus. Core to the message of Jesus is this idea of freedom. That's why in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. What this is saying is, in a very real way, there's a taste of heaven available on the Sabbath day for you. I'm just encouraging you to receive that gift. How many people have heard, the family that prays together stays together? How many people have heard that statement before or seen it on a bumper sticker or something? I want to add to it. The family that plays together stays together. The couple that plays together stays together. The business that plays together stays together. The community of friends that play together stay together. I really believe that's true. So I'm going to invite the band to come out. And as they come out, I just want to give you a simple challenge this week that comes straight from the Bible. And in Exodus 28, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I just want to encourage you to receive the gift of the Sabbath this week. Maybe for you, the first step is simply picking a day and saying, all right, this is the day that I'm going to choose to treat differently than other days. That's what holy means. Holy means it's set apart. It's different. It's distinct from the six other days where you're being productive and getting stuff done. Maybe it's picking a day for you. Maybe it's bringing a level of sensuality to your Sabbath. Maybe that's what God's inviting you into. Maybe it's just this simple idea of a, a simple, repeatable pattern, finding that third place, figuring out that ritual, figuring out what tells you and communicates that, hey, I'm resting. I'm in a different pace. I'm going at a different speed. Or maybe it's simply giving yourself permission to play, giving yourself permission to enter into the backswing, to enter into a season of rest for the purpose of being more fruitful in your work. God, I just pray that for all of us, while we are at different places, that you would help us to see perhaps the one thing we can do in the next seven days to receive your gift of Sabbath, to receive Menucha, this wonderful gift that you've made available to us. God, I pray that everyone in here would enter into that gift this week. In Jesus' name, amen.